Uh, good morning. All right. How's everyone doing? Good. Good seeing everyone. Hello, everyone online. If you're watching, welcome to Resurrection Church. Good to have everyone. That last song, our brother Nick wrote that song. And uh, I think he, I think it was based on the woman caught in adultery, crying out for mercy. So we have, uh, he's a very gifted man and talented and anointed by God to do that. And so that's kind of cool. Well, if, if you have your Bibles, uh, why don't you open up to Hebrews 5, Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to hopefully cover the first 10 verses. Hebrews 5. Remember the book of Hebrews? It's a letter. It's a sermon meant to encourage a church that is probably a small church like us that's been struggling. And many of them are thinking about turning back to to Judaism, in fact, or turning back to the covenant of Moses and uh, and of, of departing from Jesus. And this letter is written to encourage, to keep the faith, to keep following Christ. And who better than to follow than Jesus Christ? Uh, the, the, the writer, he says in verse 1, he goes, Therefore, let us... I'm sorry, that's verse 16. I'm in the wrong verse. Therefore, every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in the things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, being able to deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself is also beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated, as for the people, also for himself to offer sacrifices for himself in the same way. In this, uh, and no one takes his honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. Also, in this way, Christ did not glorify himself to become a high priest, but he said to them, you are my son. Today, uh, I have begotten you. Just as he says in another passage, you are a priest forever, forever in the order of Melchizedek. He, Jesus, in the days of his flesh, offered up both prayers and supplications to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was, he was heard because, because of his reverence or piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation being designated by God a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So far in the, Hebrew, in the book of Hebrews, he has been arguing that Jesus is greater than other things, other options that you have there. Angels was the first one, because at that time, angels were venerated, because they were important in, in those days. Well, Jesus is better than angels. And then he compared Jesus to Moses. Moses was great. In fact, if you ask, ask a Jewish person, Moses was the pinnacle of their people. But Moses gave them the covenant. Jesus has given them a better covenant. Moses couldn't take them into the promised land. That was Joshua's job. And though Joshua brought them physically into the promised land, he couldn't give them actual rest. Jesus Christ gives us rest. But now, he's shifting gears to say, now Jesus is actually better than Aaron. Now, who's Aaron? Aaron is a high priest. 
In fact, much of Hebrews' argument is one, Jesus is the son, and now Jesus is the high priest. In fact, several chapters are going to be devoted to the priesthood of Christ. This begins it. But actually, he gave reference or gave a hint to it back in chapter uh, 3. Go back to chapter 3. In verse 17, he says, He had to be made like his brothers in all things that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for sins. From that point on, he was talking about the faithfulness of Christ. But now, starting in chapter 5, actually technically started in chapter 4, verse 15, that Jesus is a merciful high priest. Because it's one thing as we as human beings need, we need a lot of mercy and compassion, right? Because we fall way short and we are frail. And so from this section, chapter 4, verse 15, to chapter 5, verse 10, he's actually emphasizing the mercy of the high priest. Now, what is true of the Aaronic priesthood is going to be even more true of Jesus Christ. He's going to excel beyond that. Verse 1, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men. The high priest had to be taken from men. He had to be a human being. He couldn't be an angel. Angels can't represent us. He had to be one of us, right? He had to understand what we are like. And of course, now he's pointing to an imperfect example. But Jesus Christ was, became flesh to live as one of us. He had to be taken among men to, in order to uh, represent man. He was taken from among men and is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God. What the writer is saying here is, ultimately, you and I need a representative. Either you stand on your own before God in, in your works or your righteousness or your own righteousness or your own sin, or you have somebody stand before you. Many times if you get, if you get sued and, or you get something in legal trouble, some people decide to represent themselves. Why represent yourself when you can have the best advocate in human history? Now what happens though is that sometimes we think, well, we're not worthy of that. But we have Jesus Christ who has done everything possible to represent us in a perfect way. Well, the high priest here, the high priest that was appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God, he is taking from among men, men, not the angels. He's taking from them. He's like us. In those days, of course, we don't understand priesthood. We think of, I think of Catholic priests, which are different, although they, they say the mass is like a sacrifice. Every time you go to mass, it's a, it's a sacrifice. It's a continuing sacrifice. That's what the mass is. It's the, it's the Lord's Supper. It's a sacrifice. I think it's unnecessary as we learn in the book of Hebrews, is that Jesus Christ is the, the high priest that took care of it all. The veil's been torn. He's there with us. And that's it, right? But we don't understand priesthood as much because we don't have a temple. In those, in those days, that was part of daily life. You had all kinds of offerings you would bring to the priest, Right? You had blood offerings. You had you know, an animal that had to be sacrificed. You as a person realize you've offended God, so you go and say, I've got to make do. i got to take care of this, right? And offer to God something. Sometimes you had thank you offerings, which are like the grain offerings and things. Like, it's like, thank you, Lord. Like a, a, like a gratitude offering. 
which is a good thing to do, but they have balance, right? Sometimes we're so focused on how bad we are as sinners, we don't realize the goodness and thankfulness and give thanks to God for what he's done, right? It's a balance. But and that was part of their life. And so the priest would constantly be offering and working in the temple and you know, slaughtering things and offering kinds of things. But ultimately there was one day, of course, out of the year that they had to atone for, and that is, that is Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. And here when he says in verse 1, he says, in things pertaining to God, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Those words are, are used separately in the Old Testament, but ultimately they meant together, ultimately on the day of atonement, the day when the high priest had to go before God and now offer for all the people to atone for their sins. We, so we don't, we're not used to that, right? But the high priest had various qualifications. He had to be a man. He had to relate to us. If you're going to represent people, you've got to know people, right? It's part of, you know, as if, you're, if you're a ministry, then I can't just hide on the prayer closet all day long, right? You've got to be around people. You've got to understand what people are going through. And that's the challenge, you know, the balance of, of spending time with the Lord, but also spend time with people. So the high priest would go and offer this to the Lord. Now it's interesting that he would offer uh, sacrifices for sins. It says in Leviticus 16, in verse 16, he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel, because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins. Thus he shall do for the tent uh, of meeting which abides in them in the midst of the impurities. That's Leviticus 16, 16. When Jesus is born, in fact, when Jesus, um, when Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant, the angel Gabriel says, you'll have a son, you'll call his name Jesus, he'll be a savior for all the people's sins. Uh, you'll see in Jesus' own life, he says, he says my, uh, my blood that I'm pouring out, this is the blood of my covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. All sins that people have committed, he's died for. Every single sin has been has been cleansed. Later on in the book of Acts, Peter responds in, uh, to, Acts, uh, to um, people asking him, or uh, to, uh, to people respond to his message. He says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he says, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's all, a lot of kinds of, but this is important. At the end of the day, how do you stand before God, with sin or without sin? covered by the blood of Jesus or standing in with your own unrighteous rags of self-righteousness. I don't know about you, but I mean, I, I try going at myself, but I realize I need, I need all the help I can get. And Jesus Christ did this willingly, right? Now the high priest relates to people because he's chosen on behalf of people but the high priest is also one thing. He's also aware of his own frailty. Look at verse 2. Being able to deal gently with the ignorant and misguided. See, it's one thing when you're so aware of other people's sins, you're not aware of your own sin. It makes you hard-hearted, right? It makes you kind of prideful. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe she... Can you believe it? You know, Lord, thank you. I'm not like that sinner down the, down the street. I am so righteous that... I don't even see my own sin. See, if you grow close to the Lord, the more you grow in the Lord, the more you become more aware of your sin. You become more aware of... 
you know, as you, as the holiness of God shines his light brighter on you, and, and I'm talking not position, I'm talking in a practical way. You know, those little thoughts that you just kind of discounted, like, that's nothing. Said, no, 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 that's, let's talk, you know. And the, as you grow, it ought to make you more humble and realize, be merciful to me, God. The high priest, he's so used to seeing people come every single day. But before he can go into the Holy of Holies, he's got to look at himself. He's got to offer sacrifice himself first. He has to understand what it's like to need forgiveness. That's why, that's why I, when I think about people who want to like, do ministry and stuff, I look for humility. I look for brokenness. Not put yourself down brokenness, but healthy brokenness is, you know, all this is with the grace of God. You know? And so he says he's able to deal gently. The word gently is it's not the word compassion, but it means to hold your emotions in check. In one side, you see the sin of people, or your, your own sin, it makes you angry, makes you upset. The other side, there's a compassionate part that says, but I can't be too harsh. I have to understand. That, listen, don't ever be surprised if somebody does something crazy. All of us are fallen. All of us have sinned. All of us have inherited sin. We, we think, oh, I would never do what so-and-so has done. Don't ever say that. Because <laughs> it's the grace of God that keeps you from doing what so-and-so has done. Look at King David. David wrote the Psalms. David is man after God's own heart. And David had a man killed. And he hid it. And of course, when it was pointed out to him, he was broken over it. And he responded correctly. All of us. Here, it's interesting here, the weakness that he relates to us, that the high priest, is that of sinfulness. Jesus relates to us with weakness as a human being, the frailty of a human being. He understands what it's like to get tired and thirsty and be rejected and all kinds of stuff as a human. But now he's talking about the ironic priest that relates to what it's like to feel weakness of sin. So he's able to understand people he's also self-aware in a sense of his own frailties and because of this he is obligated verse 3 he's obligated justice for the people to also offer sacrifices for sins in the same way for yourself i want you to go to matthew 3 i'm, I'm going to show you something about the heart that's supposed to be in the high priest and i think in anyone who wants to serve the lord or anyone who wants to be a, who wants to be in the lord but matthew 5 it's the Look at this. It's the, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the, it's the Beatitudes. But I want to show you something. And you guys have probably seen this before. But Matthew 5, this is the heart of what's there. And this is also the heart of Christ. In fact, I think the Beatitudes re- reflects the heart of Christ. Matthew 5 and verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That means they have... Someone who supports Matthew 5, 3. Sorry, did I say something else? My, I'm, it must be my age. You know, I'm transfiguring numbers. You get past 35 and you forget to count, you know? <laughs> Wednesday, it'll be... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. The one who's poor in spirit realizes... You realize... The people that would come and offer sacrifices, the people that know they've sinned and their conscience is such that they want to do something about that and they come, 
I need to deal with it. The person who's poor in spirit realizes their bankruptcy before God. That's a heart. That's the heart of our Lord as well. This, this, this gentleness, this poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Obviously, Jesus doesn't mourn over sin, so let's just be clear. But, but blessed are those who mourn. He mourns over other people's sins. This is healthy. And blessed are the lowly, the gentle, the humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think that's a picture of the heart of the high priest, and it's also a picture of the heart of our Lord. Go back to Hebrews. That was just a little side route there. You guys with me still? I said I'm aiming for verse 10, so let's keep moving. (laughs) And because of it, he is uh, obligated to offer justice for the people, so also for himself, sacrifices for sins in the same way for himself. So he has his heart. There's this compassion, there's this mercy, there's this understanding. You know, Sometimes you know when you've done something and you just know, but you don't want somebody to be like, like that. You just need somebody to, to show you mercy and compassion. You realize it. You know you're, you're guilty. You know that the stone should be thrown at you, but you don't need the I told you so's. That doesn't help. I just like, it's just more, more daggers. I realize. Now, some people, if they didn't come with this humility, that's different. I'm talking about somebody who's broken over their sin, right? Somebody who's already weeping. And the high priest here in Jesus, Jesus Christ, as our high priest, understands that. Right, amen? Verse 4, And no one takes this honor to, them, to himself, but receives it when he is called by God. This is not something that is... Uh, one that, that you volunteer for. The, to be the high priest, you had to be a son of, of Aaron. Aaron was a son of Levi, and Aaron and his sons were chosen to be the, the priests, right? And to, to serve in the temple. Uh, this is something that's, that's a calling by God. The word uh, he, is, uh, he receives when he's recalled by God, it's a passive word. It's not something that's uh, it's like, I'm going to run for high priest this year, and it's, you know, turn to a political thing. It's more of, it's something that God calls you to. Let me just pause right here on, on the whole thing of calling, because obviously the Old Testament calling, the New Testament calling, and Paul says, if anyone desires to be uh, at the office of the overseer or bishop, it's a good thing he desires. But I think there's still a calling. There's a, a sense of calling by God to do whether it's a vocation or a ministry and there's a process by which you recognize that calling, and some of us run from that calling, and we, we sort of deny that because we look at ourselves and we say, I'm not worthy. But God's calling is not based on your qualifications as a person on your own. It's based on God's choice to call somebody. Like, who would have chosen Saul of Tarsus to be St. Paul? None of them. We would look at his resume and say, you don't qualify. But God says, I'm choosing you. When God decides to call somebody, it's it's not related to, it's more related to his choice to use you to do something through you and also to change you as well. Here's Samuel coming to Jesse and say, where's your boys? I need to anoint one of them as king. And all of them came out and none of them were it. We often look at, our, our out, we often look at people from external and say, no, that guy, oh, he, he would be a great da-da-da. And God says, I haven't called him. I'm looking at the heart. I'm looking at, at the heart, you know. You and I don't see the work of the heart, but God does. I remember, you know, and I'm going off on a tangent here. Can I do that? Of course I can, right? 
when, when, when God first called me to do this or do ministry, I ran from it because I, because I knew my sinfulness. I knew my failures. And how could God use a failure? But God's, God's, nothing is dependent on my strength or my sin. It's all dependent on God and His grace. God says, okay, I'm going to choose you. I don't care what you've done. I'm going to use you. Are you willing? And he had to work that in my life. I think when, you, when you're looking for somebody that's, that's being called, there is a work of the heart that he does, a work of humility, a work of, of, of realization, and a, real, a work of dependency, where God says, I want you to be dependent, and he allows you to fail. He allows you to go through things to, to learn how to lean on him more. It's all about him. It's not about you. It's never about you. It's all about him. That's why we want Jesus Christ to be glorified in our lives. Amen? But he says, No one takes this honor to himself, but he receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. Now he's going to go from Aaron and the qualifications of Aaron and the qualifications of priesthood. Now he's now Christ, uh, all the more. (laughs) Now we're going to dig into some really cool stuff here. In this way, also, Christ did not glorify himself. Like, he didn't appoint himself as high priest though he's a son of God, but God called him to that. Look what it says here. Christ did not glorify himself to become a high priest, but he who said to him, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Stop right there. That's from Psalm verse 2. Now here's what's interesting. That is not a, uh, um, that's a, that's a royal psalm. And in one sense, there's an appointment as the, as the king to be the son of God and as representative of God to the nation of Israel. But what the writer do, here is, doing, is doing is Jesus, we know he's the son of God, chapter 1, right? He's got the same nature as God. We know he's the son of God through the rest of the scripture. But now, as the son, as the king, he's now going to also be a priest. He's going to be the son, yes. He's the, the son king, and he's a son priest. He's got both the, the leading function and the religious function of, uh, um, on behalf of the people for God. So God is appointed, or Jesus is appointed by God in Psalm 2. But then he says in another passage, you are a priest forever in the order or according to the order of Melchizedek. Whoa, stop right there. Now there's a switcheroo just happened here. The normal priesthood was through Aaron. It was all through Aaron, all the priests. You have John the Baptist, his dad was a, was served as, a, not as a priest, well, he, well, he served as a priest. He served as a, um, a Levitical helper, whatever. I, I lost my train of thought. Um, Aaron was the priestly line. But now God introduces this character, Melchizedek. Melchizedek, who is he? Well, back in Genesis 14, go to Genesis 14. Let's just go there. You guys following so far? Yeah. Okay. Abraham just got finished rescuing his nephew Lot. Lot got captured. And, uh, and after the victory in, in Genesis 14 and verse 17, uh, then after he came from striking down Ketelamar, I'm not sure how many times I had to practice that name, but <laughs> and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine now, he was priest of God Most High. 
Then he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. Then he, Abraham, gave a tenth to Melchizedek of all. Okay? Um, and he goes off the road. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on Melchizedek because chapter 7, he's going to really elaborate. All I have to say is that Jesus' priesthood is not in the line of Aaron. Now, the line of Aaron, the priests did not have a priesthood continually forever and ever. They lived so many years, and they served so many years, and then they re- the next person took over, the next person took over. But here he's saying Jesus' priesthood is forever. And pre- Jesus' priesthood is not based on Aaron. He's actually not in the same tribe as Aaron. He's in the tribe of Judah, Jesus. But it's a different priest. All I have to say is, go back to, uh, to Hebrews, is that he's now appointed as king and priest on behalf of the people. Verse 7, let's go to verse 7. Because I don't want to spend too much time on Melchizedek because chapter 7 will, uh, will have a lot there. He, Jesus, in the days of his flesh, offered up both prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him. Now, if you notice, Aaron was called by God, right? Aaron was called by God, and Aaron offered gifts and sacrifices, right? But Jesus offers himself as a sacrifice, but more in the days of his life, in the days of his flesh, it says, he offered up prayers and supplications. Part of Jesus' ministry, yes, was to give himself on that day, right? In that hour when he was crucified. But in the other days of his flesh, he also offered the sacrifices of prayer, right? The supplications of prayer. He begins his priestly ministry throughout his life, interceding for us before he, he dies for us on the cross. He, in the days of his flesh, offered up both prayers and supplications to the one who's able to save him. This is, of course, um, a picture, uh, first of all, of... of um, of Jesus living as a human being, dependent on the Father, looking to the Father, praying to the Father. He prays, um, interceding for us. Now I was thinking, what, what, when, was this, when did this happen? Well, we, see, we obviously know that Jesus prayed throughout his life, but there's one special time when we see a glimpse at Jesus praying. I want you to go to Mark chapter 14. Go to Mark 14. And we know this. It's when he... He prays in the garden. Mark 14, verse 33. And this is found in the other Gospels as well. I just decided to go with Mark. But Mark 14 and verse 33. Verse 32, we'll go there. By the way, those of us who are going to Israel next year with us, we're going to go to the garden of Gethsemane. Now the olive trees that are there are not quite as old, but they're really old that are there. And that's the place where Jesus spent his time praying. It's probably a normal place for him to go there. Verse 32, then he came to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. He took Peter, James, and John with him and began to become very distressed. Now, this is an understatement. His, he's now facing the ultimate crossroads, let's say, of, of his life. He's known about this since the time he's born, right? He's known about it he has to do his father's business. 
he has to share the gospel, tell people, and then he has to go to the Jews. He knows about this. He's already told his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to be offered up, right, basically as a sacrifice. And now, now it's coming to the crux of the matter. Jesus, who's fully God, and he's fully man. Remember the priesthood? He was chosen from among men, unappointed men. So here's the thing. He has to live, though he's fully God, he's also full, he can't cheat. He has to live in such dependency on the Father as a human being. He realizes what's coming. Now what's coming for him is not just the physical torture, which is going to happen, we've warned us. What's going to come, though, is when the Father turns his face from him when the sins of man, are, when the sins of the world are placed on him, that's what causes, I think, what causes the most distress. This isn't just him facing execution, though that would be horrible. And part of it is, yes, it is, as a human being, who wouldn't want a way out? As a human being, we have something in our, that's hardwired, that, a self-preservation. Do what you can to get, the, the, to, to get out of here, right? As a human being, it's do everything because we don't want to face death. We don't want to die. We don't want to, you know, that's a scary, that's the, no, right, right? We, we, that's the, that's the, we don't want to talk about that stuff, right? But Jesus is beginning to face that. He says in verse 34, and he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. He went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. I mean, this, this right here, I think, is... Uh, everything hinges on this one event right here. He's fully God and he's fully man, but in one sense, in both sense, as God and as man, he has to submit to the will of the Father. the stress that hits him. I mean, he's, dream, he's bleeding, he's sweating drops of blood. His capillaries have, can't take the pressure. He's thinking about everything and all the while, and this is what gets me, as God, he's, got, he's, he's holding everything together as God. But now as man, as our representative, he's all in. But watch this. He was, and he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. I don't want to do this. My will right now is I don't want to face it. If there's another way, let that be, let, let's let that happen. If there's a plan B, let this cup of wrath being poured on me and this, 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 this wrath of taking the punishment for for mankind, there's another way. That's why Jesus says, I am the, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Because only he was able, only he went all the way to the cross, right? And to the death. And Now this is the decision where he's, he's crying out with, as, with, you know, with he's, he's crying out, Lord, God, Father, 
I imagine all of heaven is holding their breath. Let's just pause right now. We don't, I don't think we realize the significance of this moment right here. Because I don't think we realize the significance of sin. We cheapen it. Not you guys, but let's say in general. We tend to diminish it. Nowadays, people are following other Jesuses. They don't, they don't ask you to repent and believe in sin or, oh, you're just good. There's nothing wrong with you. This is what Christ is all about right here. Heaven is watching, holding their breath. Hell is also watching too, wondering what's going to happen. Is he going to choose as a man life preservation? Or as God, my will as the son? That's two things going on. My will as the son of God, my prerogative as the son of God, and my self-preservation as a man. Is he going to choose the, that route? Abba, all things are possible for you. Daddy, Father, remove this cuff from me. I can't imagine as a father looking at your child's eyes and seeing the distress and the pain and the anguish and, the, and you want to do everything in your power to rescue your boy. As a parent. The fact that God held back and said, that's it, son, I'm going to take you home and forget about these people, let's go on. There's the, the tension that's there. As a dad, I'm, I'm, I remember, can I tell a story? So I took the... I took, I, took, I took the kids to Disneyland years ago. I don't know, I forget, there, Joshua's barely. We went, on the, we went on the Indiana Jones ride, which is a fun ride, right? And this will never, I'll never forget this. And I don't embarrass, he was, he was little. He was barely enough to get on there. And it's, if you've been on the ride, it's a Jeep ride thing, and you, so you're going through the, you know, and there's all kinds of, darts coming your way and it's all but there's this one huge snake right this big black it's it's a not a puppet but it's you know mechanical right and and it kind of lunges at the car you're in the whole thing is scary the whole ride is scary for a little guy and i'll never forget he looked and joshua i'm gonna make it up to you son (laughs) i'm gonna make it up to you i'll never forget i'm sitting here and he is terrified. And he looks at me with this terror in his eyes, like, how could you do this to me, Dad? <laughs> how could you bring me on this ride? I mean, that's nothing compared to the son praying to the father. And the restraint of the father. God so loved the world. If God would sacrifice his son for you and me... Don't question God's love. I'll be compassionate. I understand when you question God's love because you look at your circumstances. But if you look at the cross, you look at the Garden of Gethsemane, you realize what, ha- what transpired there? With Hebrews says, In the days of his flesh he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. 
Jesus says, yet not my will, but thy will be done. As a human being, he said, no, I'm not going to save myself. And as God, the Son, he says, but not my will, Father, your will be done. Why? Because he realizes the Father's will incorporates the salvation of so many people. You and I wouldn't be here if that decision's not made. That's why, but go back to Hebrews. Go back to Hebrews. That's why he says, uh, verse 7, <clears throat> he cried out with prayers and supplications to the one able to save him from a death, and he was heard because of his, his reverence or his piety. He was heard because he feared God, because he decided to go with God's plan. You fear God. He feared, He had reverence for God. He had respect for God and God's plan. This was part of God's plan. Some, uh, some translations have the word piety. Some have reverence. Uh, the idea, the word here is, uh, is the Greek word that means to have a reverential awe in the presence of God. And he, as the Son of God and as the Son of Man as human and divine, both, he still submits to, to God and submits, your will be done, your will be done, your will be done. He, now, it says he was heard. Now, he was heard by God, but that didn't mean he didn't have to go through with the cross. God the Father says, I'm hearing you, son. I receive your prayer. But salvation for Christ was not being prevented from coming to the cross. It was the fact he didn't remain dead very long. He was raised up. So he was heard by God, and the answer came in his resurrection and exaltation. The answer came in his being exalted to the right hand of the Father. See, sometimes we want to go through life and have God prevent us from going through things. But when he brings us through things and we trust him and rely on him and we depend on him, he is even more glorified. It would be easy for God to, to snatch people and just protect us all and have bubbles on. But we would never learn of the strength of God, the power of God, the faithfulness of God if we avoid all valleys of the shadow of death. In fact, that's why he says in the next verse, verse 8, although he was a son... He learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Wait a second. He's a son. But think about this. As son in heaven, there's no option to not obey God, right? But as son on earth, as a man, given a choice, my will or thy will, my will or thy will, obedience here, the word he learned obedience, the word learn here is to learn by experience. It's more than you know, the, the, theoretical knowledge of what it means to obey. But to have the experiential knowledge of knowing what it means to obey, having facing difficult decisions. He, he grew, in fact, it says that he grew in, 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 in maturity and stature. It talks about 
uh, how he went, went back with, at the temple, being at his father's house. And then it says, Mary and Joseph came, and where, you, where have you been, son? I had to be in my father's house. We got upset. We set out, you know, and, but then it says he went with them and he submitted to them. He had to grow in his humanity as well. If he's going to be a perfect high priest for us, he has to experience life as a human being to its fullest. That means obeying mommy and daddy. That means submitting to their authority. That means learning. And I imagine, just like your kids, when your kids are younger, you, don't, you give them a little bit of responsibility. And as you grow older, you give them more responsibility because they're able to handle the weight of that. Now, Jesus has, has now taken us all the way to full obedience. He learned obedience. He learned experientially by deciding to follow the will of the Father. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Sometimes when life gets hard, it's easy to bail. I have a friend who's going up through a hard time in his marriage, and he it, it's tempting to bail a hard marriage. Your spouse may not be a believer or may not live right, and it's easy to, you know, to just quit. You know, if you've quit, there's grace and there's mercy from God. It's and it's and we're frail. All of us. Let's just be. Let's just be real. And it's it's by the grace of God that we don't all run away. But Jesus Christ, when facing the most difficult point in his life, remains true, remains faithful. I'm not resting on my faithfulness or my goodness or my... My track record as a human being, because I failed so many times. I'm resting on his obedience. When you go to the Father, don't look at yourself in the sense of, who you're going to trust in. Look at his complete obedience. This is where we differ from like the Catholic Church. I mean, Jesus did all this just so that you had a chance of going to heaven? Is that good news? To me, this is good news. This is like, like... Now, it doesn't mean you can go off and you know, be all sinful and everything. It means we follow in obedience, as he'll say there, right? He's a source of salvation to all who obey him, right? But our righteousness, he is, he is standing right there next to the Father right now, interceding for us. We don't go through Mary. We go through Jesus directly. we got a hotline phone right to Jesus. I need your help. Bam, my child right there, she is needing some grace right now. Angels, boom, you know. So-and-so needs, I see some discouraging spirits on that lady back there. Boom, said something. And you see how he does that. Father, if you knew what she, she has gone through, her life has been so hard. She's gone through death and heartache and divorce and all kinds of And she has feel crushed and feels, she, feels, she feels incomplete. I need to send her some encouragement right now. That's Jesus. Who else would you want to intercede for you than somebody else? 
I don't want somebody else. I want somebody who's lived it. Jesus Christ, who understands what it's like to be rejected, what it's like to be suffered, he's there on the cross naked, right? He's been ridiculed. Everyone's like, yeah, you saved other people. Save yourself, you know. He's nobody, you know. Ridiculed and teased. Some of us, we were teased when we were kids. And, and it's like, it's that, that wound is still there. And Jesus Christ understands that. Father, my dear daughter right down there, she, she thinks little of herself because, because she's been so told by somebody else that she's worthless. But Jesus says, Father, she's valuable to me and you. I want her to know my love. And how precious. She's the apple of my eye. And the enemy's like, no, don't believe that. Yeah, and it's, it's too good to be true, you know. And, and Jesus is our meat. Jesus is very active. He ever liveth, as the King James says, to make intercessions for us, it says later on. That means it's all he does is pray for us. And by the way, his priestly, he's a priest of Melchizedek forever? What kind of ministries? I don't know what that's going to look like, but all I know is is that he's, when he signed up to do this, it is for all eternity. Praise God. Amen? And having been made perfect, uh, that means mature. That means fully, um, uh, fully, um, and we talked about this back in, I think, in chapter 2. Uh, that means to be fully equipped to do that job. He fits the part, so to speak. Having been made perfect, not perfect morally. We know Jesus is perfect morally. But this is uh, the idea of being um, perfect in the sense of being um, made complete in his human experience, uh, made uh, qualified to be the priest, qualified through his suffering, including the temptation, the, tri- the temptation that, that the trial was his whole life, denying himself while suffering on the cross. And because he had been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Our source of, of salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. He did it all. He accomplished it all as our high priest. He is the source of eternal salvation. No one else. Not your good works. Not your righteousness. He is the one who provides eternal life for everyone who would believe in Him and obey Him, being designated by God as a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ is a better high priest, and He is a merciful high priest, and He loves you, and He's so good. And I'm done. I actually come. Ten verses! (laughs) Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord. This is awesome. Send out the memo, right? (laughs) Jesus is so good. Let me just tell you something. When you're feeling, when you are feeling the the attacks and the oppression and the, the, the negative thoughts and the you're not worthy, you say, you're right, I'm not worthy, but Jesus Christ, he's worthy. And I'm looking at him. Look to Christ. Get your eyes off of your circumstances and look to Christ. What do you see there? You see a loving Savior. You see the marks that prove it. And he says, I didn't do it because there's something in you that's... Because that's who I am. 
The more you look at yourself, the more it's going to be like depressing. Look to Christ, and that will never change. Amen? All right, let's pray. I'm excited. Stand up. Let's stand up. We'll pray. And I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll do the, the blessing. Father, thank you for your... Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord. That you were obedient to the point of death on the cross, as Philippians 2 said. We didn't read that text, but you were obedient and humble to the point of death. But it was a death that we don't have to face because you faced it for us. And you were the perfect high priest. You are the one who intercedes for us. You know our frailties, our weaknesses. You know the things we've gone through. You know our sin, God. But you are not only the priest, but you're also the sacrifice. You live perfectly obedient. In fact, you're the one who's able to help us when we're facing things that are difficult. You've crossed those lines. You've crossed the, you've crossed, you've traveled that road before. You've crossed those bridges, Lord. We're just grateful, Lord, that you're so kind and merciful. And I pray, Lord, that we would walk out of here just encouraged by how good you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's, uh, let's say this nice and loud. The ironic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.